Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, whatever, girl. Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. I appreciate you changed Raheem Mostert's name to Kareem Mostert. No, I said Kareem. No. This is the Press Box. Tyler, are you still there? With Grady and Bischoff. Those two maroons <laughs> can jump on a boat and sail up Lake Mead, n- never to be seen again. On ESPN Las Vegas. See if Millsy's seen again after last night. See if he answers the phone at 830. Oh, it's Ed, Tyler, and Jared. What else would we start off with other than BGK? The first bite. Has the Golden Knights front office hurt the team this season? <laughs> Haven't I done this one before? <laughs> well, I think it <laughs> yes, did April, the last time they had to. April the 2nd's first bite was, yeah. does the Golden well, Knights front office deserve blame for last night's loss? I think you have to say that every morning after they don't play with a full roster. So <laughs> keep so keep that handy, and uh, you might be saying that again uh, sometime soon. Uh, we'll see if they do on uh, if they do anything on Monday at the deadline and get their cap situation in flux. But Tyler, uh, once again last night they were not uh, full because of the cap situations, and I don't know if that's why they lost last night. But uh, every time that happens and you lose, that's what you're going to be asked. They have played three of their last five games without a full roster. Three of the last five games. We're we're in April. We're in the second half of the season. And they have played three of their last five games without a full roster. They also played three games early in the season with five defensemen and 13 forwards. And all of this is because of the salary cap and because of the way the Golden Knights mismanaged it. Now, the good news is the regular season is mostly meaningless because the Golden Knights are still a very good team and they play in a bad division. Um, like the front office and the salary cap issues aren't causing the Golden Knights to miss the playoffs. It might cost them the one seed. Maybe it might cost them home ice against Minnesota, which could be important, but ultimately they're getting in the playoffs. They're going to be one of the top three seeds, still probably going to be one of the top two seeds. But on the scale of the regular season, it's, it's kind of a disaster. And it's two reasons, two issues for the Golden Knights that the front office created themselves. Number one, is that they signed Alex Petrangelo for $8.8 million a season. It's a big contract, and to do it, they had to dump Nate Schmidt and Paul Stasny. They hurt the depth of the team for a star player that has yet to play like a star player, and we're sitting here looking at Alex Petrangelo with an $8.8 million salary cap hit saying, what are you getting for that? Because you could have been getting that for a lot less with Nate Schmidt. But the bigger issue is how they've handled goaltending over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. We can go back a couple of seasons – Marc-Andre Fleury gets an extension for $7 million after he had a career season in his 30s when he still had one year left on his original mm-hmm. contract. That is a brutal extension by the Golden mm-hmm. Knights. That, that, is a, that is probably the biggest mistake the front office has made since the Golden Knights became a team, was giving Fleury that extension a year early, again, after a career season in his 30s. Now, to try to correct that mistake... They went and traded for Robin Leonard last season, but then they extended Robin Leonard this offseason, and they gave him $5 million. So they have committed $12 million to goaltending for this season, and guess what? For next season, too. 
and they have not been able to trade either one of them. How serious were they about trading Marc-Andre Fleury in the offseason? How close were they? We don't really know, but they haven't actually been able to pull it off. And when you look at the roster right now, those are the two big reasons. Those are the two big reasons why the Golden Knights have had game day rosters smaller than what is allowed. That's bad roster management. It's it's still a good roster. There's still really good players on this team. They still have a legitimate chance to win the Stanley Cup. But the front office did a horrible job of managing the salary cap this year. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and the minute they did that on Flurry, I think all of us were saying the same thing, like the big question of why. Um, it, it's like, you know, from a much different source, though, why, you know, with the Raiders and Colt Mill, like guys get extensions at points in their career and even they're probably surprised. Um, I know Colton Miller was. I don't know. I don't know if Mark Andre Fleury was. Maybe he said, "Hey, I had a career year. I'm the face of the franchise. You took me, so absolutely, I think you know I deserve it." And obviously, he was going to take it. But that's whether he deserves it or not doesn't make it right or wrong for the franchise to do it. They have to make the best decisions for themselves. Uh, again, th- I think it's funny because I don't think they have the ability. Well, I know they don't have the ability on Monday to do something massive like they did in the past. But this might this might be, for all the reasons you just said, the most intriguing of trade deadlines with them, right? Because they continue to have these cap issues, and that's why everyone says, well, they can't make a major move because of the cap, and what would he be able to do? But how are you going to fix it? And what can you do Monday, I guess, if anything at all? So if this doesn't continue to be an issue where you have to play short and you have cap issues and, you know, again, you're not a full roster. So I'm more interested – maybe this year than other years. And it was, you know, when they got Stone and others at, at deadlines, uh, you know, Pacioretty, um, those were big blockbusters and huge news across the league. But for them this year, going for a Stanley Cup, Monday might be really interesting to see what they can do to kind of get this back in order. Yeah, and, I mean, can they do anything? I mean, again, I don't know. Talking, That's the uh, thing. We're talking about a team that has played three of the last five games without a full roster because yeah. they have mismanaged the salary cap. So how do you manage the cap in order to add a player to this team that I mean it's possible right we've talked about how they did Robin Leonard last year and trade him to Toronto and then to Vegas to get two teams to retain salary so it's it's certainly possible but at the moment it it feels like that's the least of the Golden Knights worries as far as a roster goes because they can't even get 18 skaters on the ice they can't do it because listen this is like they put themselves in a situation where if anyone got hurt late in warmups, which we've now seen twice with Ryan Reeves and Alec Martinez, or if anyone got suspended or whatever, they got to play down a man. And that is a brutal thing to be in as a team. I, what I also thought was funny, last night Pete DeBoer got asked about it twice in the post-game press conference, and he was not taking the bait. He was not going oh, to no. use it as any no. sort of excuse. But I found it funny that last night Pete DeBoer referred to their roster problems as adversity. And he said that they expected to have this adversity. So let's be clear here. It's self-made adversity. It's lighting your house on fire and then saying, well, now I'm homeless. Like, that's self-made adversity. Like, that's not like, oh, a ref made a bad call against us. Or, oh, Nathan McKinnon's the best player on the ice and we got to figure out how to slow him down. Or, oh, we've had three guys get injured during a game. No, that is self-made adversity that they're having to deal with. This is not Petrangelo saying, "Uh uh-oh. As he skates backwards, as McKinnon goes by him and scores on Flurry. Um, yeah, and look, you know, it's that's the least biggest. That's the least surprise of any kind of Zoom where he's not going to take the bait on that. He's not going to do anything that insinuates. And again, 
not even saying he's wrong. He's not going to question management. He's not going to go after that. That's not going to happen, especially in the weird sport of hockey where they don't even tell you what the injuries are. Never mind, you know, a lot of head coaches either, you know, calling out management. There might be, you know, Tortorella might do it, but I don't think Pete DeBoer is doing it in terms of calling out management about, you know, what the issues have been. So not surprised there. Um, yeah, but, I mean, this is this is McPhee and McCrimmon and what, whoever their capologists are. I, I want to, without question, and Jared can uh, hopefully work on this, Jared, we don't want any any players ever again until we get both capologists from the Raiders and the Golden Knights. Whoever these people are, let's book them immediately because those would be great interviews to say, okay, take us through this. Why is this such a disaster? The Raiders, I mean, we could spend two hours with that person. And the Golden Knights maybe a little less. But we know they both have them. And I'd love to say, who are you? And can you please come on and explain yourselves? Well, I think, I mean... It's going to be tough to get Mike Mayock because it's draft season, but I'll do my best. And then we've had Derek England on. <laughs> Derek England's management now. He's not going to. He's not going to rip the cap situation either. Um, no, he's the. He was. He's the now in charge of it. There, well, <laughs> is that what he's doing now? Is that it? Uh, there's guys that behind the. There's behind behind the scenes that I know. You know, McPhee and others go to and say, "Okay, where are our numbers? What can we do? Can we do this?" And love to know from those guys, more so the Raiders and these guys, but I would love to uh, talk to them. Now, I say that in jest because, you know, we're not getting anyone to talk to, obviously, um, from over there. But, uh, yeah, this is this will be, like Tyler said, I mean, on Monday, I'd like to see what they're going to do. But when you have these kind of issues, what can you do? Or you, have to, uh, you have to move a lot. It seems like you'd have to move a lot of parts, Tyler, just to do something small at this point. I mean, you know, just to kind of like add depth i mean you know with the cap situation you'd have to make you know other counter moves just to even be able to do that yeah and you you have to get rid of somebody more than likely yeah. even even if you had it even if you had a way to have okay two teams are going to retain somebody's salary like if they're getting paid anything substantial if it's anything more than like a million bucks you're yeah. probably having to get rid of somebody as well i've said it pretty much the whole regular season their best bet to win in the playoffs would be to trade one of the goalies um, but that doesn't appear to be happening. Uh, so yeah, I, I I don't think they can do anything. Like as much as we we've, we've come you know used to George McPhee making a big trade or making a big signing in the off season or the trade deadline, it doesn't it doesn't even feel like he can because again they they don't have a full no. roster. No. They don't like they can't skate with a full roster when one guy gets hurt. So I don't know that they'll even be able to do anything. One other thing. From last night that I wanted to ask you about was Mark Stone in the postgame press conference. Uh, he said at the end of the day, the guys getting paid to score goals have to score goals. Golden Knights are 1-3-1 and in their last five games. Mark Stone hasn't scored a goal in eight games. Max Pacioretty hasn't scored a goal in six games. So how much blame do you think Mark Stone and put Max Pacioretty in there deserve for how the Golden Knights have played the last five games? You have to because they get credit when they do it. You know, when Stone has those, you know, consecutive point streaks, that's all we hear about. Of course, he needs, he needs to take blame. And as a captain, he did what he should last night. He, he took the blame. I mean, that, you know, that's what a captain should do. That's, I think, one of the reasons they gave him, gave him the letter. I mean, when you get paid as much as he does and Patrick does and you're not performing and you're 1-3-1, and one, that falls on you. And when you're 4-0 and and you're scoring and Patrick is getting all these goals and he's setting, you know, his career whatever records and straight games and all that, that's what we'll hear about. So, yeah, they deserve blame. Again, like I, I, we say that, and I don't think they have an issue with that. I mean, obviously Stone doesn't. He's the one who said the quote. I don't, he didn't have to say that. I mean, he was asked about, you know, not scoring. He certainly didn't have to say, hey, wait a minute. It's, you know, it's about the guys who get paid to do this. He's the one who brought that up. So, 
you know, I'm, I, 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 I laud him for that because as a captain, that's what you have. That's what you should do. If it's on you, say it. Um, and I don't think Pacioretty has a problem with him saying that. So yeah, they deserve, they deserve, you know, blame for them being one, three and one and not scoring as many goals. And we'll go to the power play. I know we'll talk to that probably, you know, we'll talk to that about Darren or to Darren, but what is it? 18 straight now. They you'll have get to, to grade it later, away. Ed. You'll get to grade the power play. F minus minus fail. But I think, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I, yeah, they're, they're to blame. And they, and they get plenty of, really me, as you know, they get plenty of credit when things are going well. The, the problem the Golden Knights have is we've seen it in the playoffs the last two years, and we're seeing it now. When Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone don't score, the offense just, like, completely dries up. Um, yeah. even, even like Carlson, Marshall and Smith, you can kind of consider a second tier of scoring because last year it almost, it's, they almost lost to Vancouver and Patch Reddy and Stone weren't scoring the last five game, four games of that series. And then they did lose to Dallas with Patch Reddy and Stone not scoring in that series hardly at all. And if you go back two playoff seasons ago, Mark Stone and Max Patch went into a drought after they went up three, one on San Jose. And as much as you want to blame the, the five minute major, if Patrick and Stone don't go into a scoring drought, they probably win that series in five or six, and it never gets to seven. So this is a problem we've seen in the playoffs, and now we're seeing it in this small stretch in the regular season. When these two aren't producing, if any team can take these two away and limit them to, hey, they can't score or they score every other game, like the Golden Knights aren't going to win. They're not going to win because no. the rest of their scoring no. has not been proven enough to be reliable that hey we can get enough goals from carlson marshall and smith or we can get some from shea theodore or hey the 8.8 million dollar defenseman that has one more goal than keegan colasar does this season all right coming up next what are we doing next oh unlv football oh it's gonna be a whole bunch of iowa state fans at allegiant stadium this year and it's all because of allegiant airlines for the rebels griffin the single receiver up top double wise to the bottom Gillum has time now. He's Ooh. under pressure, escapes it, and he throws it. Hawaii, now they're going to say it is a live a ball. Pass, yeah. They're going to say it's a live ball. And now Kyle Williams tries to throw it downfield, and now they're going to say an incomplete pass. I thought it was forward. I, my first initial reaction was that ball was forward thrown by Gillum. That's, that was my initial thought. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. Oh, some UNLV football in April. We got a fun story here. So, Iowa State is coming to play UNLV in September. Iowa State... Might be a top 10 team when they come to play UNLV in September. But according to the Des Moines Register, Allegiant Airlines is adding more flights between Des Moines, Iowa and Las Vegas. And the reason is because Iowa State fans have sold out the only flight that was the week before the day before UNLV Iowa State from Des Moines to Las Vegas and Allegiance adding more flights and they said they will keep adding more flights if demand continues. So I guess the question is why is Allegiant Airlines trying to make UNLV football play a road game in Allegiant Stadium? Well, because there was a pandemic and at that point they don't care anything except filling that stadium. So they don't, <laughs> I mean, they, 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 they might, that stadium might be named Allegiant Stadium, but they're in the business of getting people on airplanes and, and getting their money to take them places. So, uh, 
And look, not a shock. People are running for the hills from Des Moines uh, to get out to Vegas. Uh, oh, taking point. shots at Iowa. Uh, no, I like Des Moines. I like Des Moines. I, I, I actually do. It's well, come on, Tyler. One of the greatest moments ever of Mike Sanford tripping over a wire. I mean, I, I, there's nothing like Des Moines to tell you the truth. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I look. I mean, I I'm not surprised at this. Are you? I mean, you know, it's a, it's you, they probably you know you're a school. You're going to play the Big 12, but you look what your non-conference schedule is. I don't know what their other non-conference games are, but it is Vegas. It's the new stadium. You're going to circle one game to go to each season. This would be, I would assume, just an automatic uh, within their non-conference schedule to come out and, and see Vegas and enjoy their team and brand new NFL stadium. I, I, I don't think either of us are surprised at this, that they're going to have this many people try to come out here. What happened to partnerships? I thought Allegiant Airlines, the Raiders, no, you know, I thought they were all partners trying no. to help each other out. It's all about making money, this? man. When you've lost, oh, when you've lost no. a lot of money, it's all about making money, man. It's all about making no. money. It's lost. about partnerships. You got to be nice. Well, I mean, is it is it a, is it a, in a situation where we'll help you and we won't do this when the line gets under twenty? Like, if <laughs> if if if, if it, the line's over twenty or whatever, it's like, yeah, you know, you, you put up a good fight, but we got to get as many people out here on planes as we can. I understand. I listen. How how would how would Mark Davis feel if Allegiant Airlines had to add more flights between Denver and Vegas because Broncos fans were coming out to Vegas? I think if it meant the stadium sold out, he'd be fine with it because he could finally watch his team in his own stadium. Like he'd actually he'd actually be able to go to a game at that point. He, like, can, eh. he can go to a game. This is kind of like nah, the Golden chose, Knights he's saying, chosen. He's right. Chosen this is kind of like the Golden Knights saying their roster problems are adversity. Yeah, okay, you made it adversity. Mark Davis could have yeah, gone no. to the game. He went to the road he games. Could've. He could have gone to the he home could've. games. He just he decided could've. not to. I, I, but if the if if he's standing behind that, and he's going to stand behind, it, I think at this point you have to stand behind it. And they're like, you can not go see them, or we can put a bunch of Bronco fans there, and it'll be full. And he'd probably take that because, like, yeah, I think he finally wants to see his team in that stadium. I got about. Five texts from random people I hadn't talked to in years about, hey, man, I'm coming out to Vegas for the uh, first Chiefs game against the Raiders. And then, you know, the pandemic hit. And I was like, man, that would have been a, like an away game at home because these people are not yeah. rich people. They don't go places. And they're like, we're coming out for that game. Vegas, baby. I should um, mention, obviously, I, I know Des Moines is where they fly out of, but... Obviously, the greatest moment in the history of my uh, in my uh, career was Ames, Iowa. Oh, I guess they don't fly out of Ames, right? I guess uh, I, I am assuming not. I'm assuming there's. I would not assume an the airport. team does on charters. Maybe they don't either. I don't know. But Ames, Des Moines, you, you, you remember the moment. So it still ranks as the best of all time. Still ranks as the best of all time. Oh, um, no, there's no, no, no question. <laughs> I, I've I've got another UNLV football question for you. So UNLV football posted a tweet from spring practice where their players were like dancing around and I think it's Marcus Arroyo you see some coach I think it's Arroyo because it's the back of him but you see even Arroyo dancing around with some of the players and they have gotten crucified on Twitter for dancing around during practice because one guy tweeted this is why we suck we got a football team full of Jabberwockies and that tweet has 9,000 retweets and 77,000 likes. It's the most popular tweet ever sent about UNLV football, and it's criticizing them dancing at spring practice. So the person who tweeted that took one... How, how long's how long's the, the clip? Like five seconds? 
Uh, let's I, I, see. I didn't see How the long clip. Is this I didn't video? see the clip. So I, I mean, I didn't. It's see a 14 so. second video of okay. UNLV football players and at least one coach dancing at spring practice. Okay, it's, it's a completely stupid tweet. You're taking that tweet and just <laughs> and ripping them for that. It's like, so no other, no other school that does spring football and has these guys out there three times a week. You know, gets excited and jumps around a little bit. I mean, look, let's put it this way: we we've said this often. I mean, obviously throughout the years. Them dancing for 14 seconds is not the issue with football out there. So if you think that's the issue, you haven't been paying attention very long. But uh, I, I, the thing I'm most surprised is not that a fan would tweet that um, uh, at any level is what you just said with the retweets and the likes. Because nothing let me, in the history of UNLV football has ever been that popular. No, nothing. So what does I guess does that tell you? Do you? I mean, do you think if they actually got good eventually? Uh, we haven't seen that, but if they actually got good events, like you were saying yes, the other day, you know, three or four wins this year and then continue to build, like how how serious do you think a fan base would be created here for that sport there? Like not much. You know, basketball if basketball goes back to the NCAA tournament, it'll be people realize, wow, I mean this is this is a huge fan base for that team. But with football, I mean, how far are they away from any kind of like true relevance with a fan base? Because those numbers right there are huge numbers to where does that give the insinuation that people actually follow or care? No, that gives me the insinuation that people thought it was a funny tweet and wanted to dunk on UNLV football for being bad. But I just can't believe that's not many people want to dunk on them to tell you the truth. I here, here's the problem for UNLV football. I think they are so far away from have from being relevant as far as a fan base goes because when you think about UNLV basketball and you think about, okay, if they're good, they'll the fans will come back. Well, what does good mean? Good means like playing in the NCAA tournament. And when you NCAA play tournament. in the NCAA yeah. tournament, yeah. you're nationally relevant, yeah. right? And people yeah. are going to care. For UNLV football, because the Raiders are here, because the Golden Knights are here, if UNLV football goes 6-6 six and six and goes to the uh, Potato Bowl in Idaho, right? That's one of the five best seasons in program history. Nobody here is going to care because going to the Potato Bowl is not nationally relevant. It's barely even relevant here because you know what's going to happen. If UNLV is playing a game, let's say they're five and three and they win a game to get to six and three and they clinch bowl eligibility by beating San Jose State or whatever, the front page of the RJ the next day is not going to be about UNLV clinching bowl eligibility. It's going to be about uh, the Raiders play the Broncos today. Like that's mm-hmm. what's going to happen in, as far as media coverage and as far as fans paying attention. People are going to be much more interested in every single Raiders game than they are UNLV games. Unless UNLV is playing for like a Mountain West title and is eleven and one, and they're so far away from eleven and one that it seems like it's almost impossible for that to happen. And I think that's the problem for UNLV football is for them to play in nationally relevant games, they've basically got to win the conference, and that's not happening. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Look, other than and this is we got to put this in context. It's it's most non p5s in college football because you just aren't you know i know the group of six gets a slot in the new years they're never getting that so they're going to be in the level of bowls you're talking about so i do agree there's in 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 the sense of that there's a cap on what the interest level would be locally right i mean the the NCAA tournament you win one or two games in there it will be even bigger than when you started the NCAA tournament it will just continue to grow and grow as you win the NCAA tournament college basketball that's how huge that event is but you're right, and UNLV's, UNLV's San Jose State, they're Fresno State, they're San Diego State, all in the mode of, yes, if you win and get to bowls, you have some level of support, but it's good. there's a cap to it in college football. If you're not in the P5s and you have no chance at the playoff, that's what it means. 
It's just, I guess the question is, how far away are they even from that? Like, you know what I mean? How far are they from the New Mexico Bowl? I, I don't know the answer. I mean, it's pretty far away, obviously, because they haven't been close. Um, Hauk went one year, but the last few years, disaster. So I, it's really interesting to me. I don't know the answer to it in terms of, one, how close they are to that, and two, if they reach that, what the level of interest will be. Now, if it happens on a Saturday and they clinch the Potato Bowl and the Raiders are playing, you're exactly right about the coverage. That could be probably said in a lot of NFL cities, though. You know, unless right. it's, you know, you got a Power 5 school and, you know, I mean, the, you know, the Columbus Dispatch, the day after Ohio State plays, they're going to have a Brown story up front, but Ohio State's going to take the day. That's not the city we live in, and that's just never going to be like that for UNLV football. Yeah, and it, listen, if UNLV was 11-0, 12-0, something like that, then that might be different. You might actually bump out some Raiders coverage if that team was, like, undefeated or really, really good, but that's sort of the problem. They're very far away from being that good. They're far away from being half that good and just getting to a bowl game. All right, coming up next, David Roth joins the show. Here's Dom Smith, who struck out in his first at-bat of the season. What is that sound? Oh, that's me. Shame Sorry. Is for, was that you? Yes. I thought that was coming from the ballpark. I, I was had, thinking, I what th- is that? I had the... Uh... Uh, don't go there. I just don't go. Where? I got a slight. I got a slight emergency at home. That's oh. what it is. That's everything outside here. Okay. Yeah, everything's fine. But I. But um, I thought I had the, the iPad turned off. I, obviously, I didn't. So. Do we? Do, do, can we? Did something can serious? We help, can we help just, in any way? Someone was supposed to f- uh, feed my cat, and she hasn't fed the cat in a while, and uh, she used the wrong key on it. Jammed in the door, <laughs> and I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get in my house tonight. That, no, no, wait, wait a second. Dom lifts one out to left, hit pretty well. Back goes Joyce near the wall. It's out of here. Dom Smith with the Mets' first home run of the season. An opposite field two-run shot. We're back to the press box morning show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff. Joining us now is David Roth from the Defector. David, I, I give you that home run call or the Nick Castellanos Brunneman home call from last year. You can only listen to one. Which one are you choosing? The Castellanos one is beautiful. I'm I'm biased, and I should announce that up front. I think that that's like some of the best audio. Wait, I should listen to that every night before going to bed. I find it intensely <laughs> soothing, especially now. I mean, mostly because I know that like the cat's fine. You know, like it, it later worked itself out. That somehow made it into the broadcast. This is the the best part about being a Mets fan. It has been for a really long time. Is that you get like this free ASMR experience while your team's bullpen like duffs away a lead. You get to listen to Keith Hernandez talking about like grilling tips. Well, that okay. That was a home run, so maybe not the best example. But if your bullpen is blowing the lead, I think I'd rather hear about Keith Hernandez not worried about not being able to get into his house or how hungry his cat is than the bullpen blowing it. Buddy, I promise you it works. Like, it's worked well enough to keep me on the hook for, like, a decade of extremely poor bullpen performances. I, I think uh, that I prefer that call to the, the Castellanos one just because the vibe is different. But, like, that really is, like, if you wanted to tell someone what it's like to watch a baseball game, like, that's, like, a weird conversation that's interrupted briefly but not for very long by some baseball action, and then it's just right back to, like, are you worried about your cat? That's the that's the experience I miss right there. So we talked to you last Thursday, and we thought it was going to be the first Mets game of the year. Uh, it turns out they didn't get to play for a few days. 
So yeah. how are you feeling about the Mets? What, what have they played? Three games? Four games now? Three games. Uh, they've uh, lost two, won one. Um, they definitely do not look like they're ready to be playing Major League Baseball games yet. But I guess nobody else really does either. Uh, yeah, they're, it's weird. I'm, I'm trying to, like, it's a long season, you know, and, like, while I have a non-existent role uh, in the team's success this year, I think I personally need to kind of keep my powder dry and not, like, if I'm getting really mad about the ma- uh, manager before uh, Memorial Day, that, that's on me, I think. It's they, happening. Uh... I just want to make clear that it is happening. I just am also, like, I, I don't feel great about it. They they didn't play and by the way David I got to tell you uh, your piece private choices and public consequences was was ter- beyond terrific and I wanted to ask you about Thanks. this because one of the examples you made was J D Davidson so you do have these athletes now specifically and, and you went to the baseball side of things where is this a personal choice to get the vaccine and, and Mookie Blaylock and others and, and Joey Wendell have talked about this uh, Rocco Bedelli from the Twins manager tell us your stance the piece was terrific on on players in this position where your league is saying. If you get to this level, we're going to go back in restrictions. You can have a more normal baseball life now. And yet you still have guys saying, hey, look, this is a personal choice now, no matter if I'm a baseball player or not. Yeah, it's complicated because I think the the saying that it's a personal choice, it's not my favorite language on it. Because to me, like, I just got my first shot yesterday. Um, I'm a little bit sore, but otherwise feel mostly okay. It was like one of the great experiences of my life. Like this has been a really lousy year and it's great to be able to feel like I'll be able to see my family and my friends, you know, like I, I, I can't argue against getting the shot. I do think that right. the, the messaging on it though is like, this is the thing that's difficult about being in a union with anybody. But I mean, especially with a bunch of, you know, guys who have a hundred million dollars and have been, you know, like the most important people in every clubhouse they've been in. It's really difficult to be, you know, as the MLBPA's messaging is basically like that it's a personal decision and we're not going to talk about it. But right. uh, we're strongly encouraging everybody to get the shot, which is like, you know, a, a canny enough political message. It's just also like it puts you in this situation where no one can really say, I think everyone should get it. Some people are going to be comfortable saying, I don't, I don't personally want to get it. And so you're kind of in this situation where, like, rhetorically, you can't be direct enough. And then in the actual clubhouse, it's a question of, like, the guys that won't get it for whatever reason are basically holding everybody else sort of hostage, which is not dissimilar from the way that this is playing out in the rest of society. It's just, like, (laughs) it's a tough one. At some point, like, I just kind of want reporters to stop asking the question because, like, now you know what the answer is. Like, even the most ardently pro-vax guys are going to say it's a personal choice because that's what the union wants them to say. And so, like, you're never going to get an answer that even helps your story. So I don't see, like, the, the percentage in it, personally. Is there, if we view it in the context of just sports, uh, the Nationals don't get to start the season on time, and hockey, the Vancouver Canucks have over 20 guys oh, God, that have yeah, it right terrible. now. Like, is there is there a level of the players are going to get, like, shamed into it, even if it's their personal choice not to get it, of, hey... Uh, we can play this season pretty normally if you guys all get vaccinated. Like, does that work on an athlete? I think it it has a likelier chance of working on an athlete than, like, you know, facts and logic or whatever. You know, like, I think that that's (laughs) – and I think that's true for for everybody. I mean, like, so much of what I've seen in terms of the numbers, the like the Kaiser Health polls of, like, who's not going to want to take the vaccine and stuff, those numbers are going down 
everywhere. Like, and they've gone down by about 50% over the last few months to the point where it's like well under, it's like under 15% of people are even saying that they don't want it now. So like, this is, I think, a sign of like peer pressure kind of working in a positive way. And I think that the, it's weird to be giving like Manfred credit for stuff because I think he's been a terrible commissioner and he seems like kind of a sourpuss, like just annoying man at a personal level. But like, I think that that threshold they have, that 85% thing, like, if anything is going to make this work, like, that's the sort of pressure that it is. Like, if you come in really heavy-handed and you, you know, mandate it and you say you're not going to be allowed to play or whatever, like, I don't have, personally, I don't really have much of a problem with that, but I think that that's, like, that is, like, management being uh, overbearing. Whereas in this case, like, you just basically make it a problem that people have to sort out in terms of, like, is it worth it? for me to whatever be sore for a day or like have my worst Instagram fears briefly realized and then not realized like, is that, you know, worth it for me to not be able to do my job, not be able to like live my life and inconvenience the people around me. And I hope that that's the thing that works. Speaking of the sourpuss, uh, in, in the decision to, get the game out of Georgia and bring it to Colorado. Um, and and it, it might've been an easy decision because you might've had people like Dave Roberts and others saying, look, I'm just, and players saying, I'm not going. Um, but you know, Atlanta countered with like, look, this was an opportunity to honor Henry Aaron and you messed up here. And it wasn't about, it was more about the game and what Atlanta was going to do for, you know, what the festivities they had. I'm sure you're not surprised that they moved it, but at any point, did you think it should have lasted longer in the debate on, is this the smart decision? I'm a little surprised they moved it, honestly. Like, uh, and I don't, again, I don't necessarily have a problem with it, but it's like, it happened much faster and much more decisively mm-hmm. than I'm accustomed to that sort of thing happening. And when it's happened in the past, it's like, uh, but the NCAA tournament, I know that there was stuff involving a, the Charlotte Regional after they passed yeah. their, like, mm-hmm. one of those stupid bathroom laws. And yes. in that instance, it was like, that made sense, but it was also like, they pushed, and then there was a response. And in this case, it was like, it was so fast that the... The, that usual cycle of like, I mean, I can't say I missed three days of like bad faith <laughs> argument of people being like, think of, well, no one think of the, you know, whatever fans of Cobb County, Georgia, like this is, right. you know, but at the same time, like, I, I feel like there's sort of a missed opportunity there because like that conversation is now only happening retrospectively. And because the stakes are low, because the game's already been moved, like, this could theoretically just go on forever. Like, we're just in this, like, cheesy rhetorical hell about, like, woke MLB and, like, woke Delta Airlines. Like, we could be here all month. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> David, I've, I've compared it to, because I grew up in Mississippi, and, and for a long time the NCAA didn't let Ole Miss or Mississippi State host NCAA tournament events because the Confederate flag was in the state flag of Mississippi, and... It didn't change anybody's mind in the state of Mississippi. Everybody who wanted to keep the flag was like, screw the NCAA, we're keeping the flag. It wasn't until a Mississippi State football player said something about it and was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to play here, that Ole Miss and Mississippi State football teams went to the state capitol and like spoke about it, and all of a sudden Mississippi changed its flag. So how much of a difference do you think this one event makes, and what actually would it take for something in Georgia to change with their voting bill? Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. Because, like, when this is happening at that level of, like, institution versus institution argument, you know, like, because, I mean, if you think it's bad to take Rob Manfred's side, like, the idea of being like, well, I agree with the NCAA on this one. Like, that is just a nauseating way to start a sentence. Like, you never want to do it. 
Yeah. But like, if that's the case, then like people are gonna just sort of accept it as this like play fight between entities that aren't real to them, and then just like make their choice. Like it's the the same way that the mascot, the like Chief Wahoo in Cleveland is. Like, I can't believe that anybody really cares about that. But like, they care about it in the sense that like it's a a stand-in for this other conflict that like they really do care about. In this case, like, I don't know, you know, how you get. I think that like for Georgia, it's it's a difficult situation because like they really, you know, the people that are in charge of the state really do seem to believe that they need these laws or they'll never get reelected. And, like, the laws to me seem extremely onerous and bad, but I don't know, like, what kind of positive pressure, like, brands or employers, like, exert after the fact. Like, and for MLB, like, they're not going to move the Braves, right? And so, like, this one weekend of, you know, revenues in suburban, exurban Atlanta, like, I'm sure it would have been a big deal for the state, but, like, I think what it would take would be, like, Delta or like one of the big corporations that moved there for this like ostensibly business friendly climate being like, yeah, this is actually not what we want. But then, I mean, that all doesn't feel great either. You know, the idea of being like depending on the, the social conscience of Coca-Cola to like make change and preserve democracy. Like there has to be a less depressing lever to pull than that. I, uh, well, uh, I'll wait till next week because it's going to be too long an answer, and I'm going to wait for it on how much television Donald Trump w- w- actually watches in a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> I just briefly, the one thing I'll share, I was writing that last little post about him. By the end of his term, he was watching seven hours a morning. A morning? Not a day, a morning. Those are, no, those those are long morning shows, man. And just pump until, like, noon. And then he would get his brief. And he'd be like, I already know that. Like, I saw, like, whatever, like, Lou Dobbs said it to be at 6.20 a.m. <laughs> it was just incredible. Those are long morning shows, brother. Yeah. <laughs> seven hours of anything in the morning. Like, I think I've slept for seven hours of a morning, like, multiple times. <laughs> I've not done anything else for that long before noon in my life. That's awesome. Well, he is David Roth from The Defector. <laughs> David, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, man. Appreciate Thank it. you, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Have a good man. one. Yeah, you do. Oh, it's beautiful. My mom used Seven to think hours. I watch too much TV. I don't even think I watch that much in the morning. <laughs> what if that was true and he had a cabinet meeting? I already know that. Fox told me at 625. <laughs> Next, like, like he starts talking about like what he just saw on television. Oh, it's beautiful. Ugh. All right. Coming up next, we're going to stick with baseball because there's one umpire who's really bad at his job. We've known this for a while, but he might be getting... 3-1 pitch. Swung on, belted. Left center field. High in the air. Back goes Pollock toward the wall. Takes a look. And out it goes for Matt Chapman. His first long ball of the year. The A's back within a run. They trail 3-2. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. We'll get more into the Oakland A's first win of the season in about seven minutes. But I was watching the Astros play the Angels on Tuesday of this week. And I've told you guys before, nothing makes me more like irrationally angry than seeing an ump miss a ball strike call while we see in real time that the K zone disagrees. And it happens every game, like there's missed calls and I get mad at it. But I'm watching the Astros and Angels and I was like, this is happening a lot. Like even for me who just gets mad every time it does happen, this keeps happening. And then after the game, 
We get wonderful numbers. Uh, there's a Twitter account called Umpire Auditors. Angel Hernandez was the home plate umpire. And Angel Hernandez missed 16.8% of ball and strike calls in Tuesday's games. 17% of the pitches that he had to call a ball or a strike, he missed it. 24 total pitches he missed. The breakdown on that comes out to almost three pitches per inning, 1.4 per half inning. He almost missed a call and a half every single half inning. Okay, so we just it's, it's ironic. We just talked to Dave Roth about um, the, the Georgia, the law and moving it, right? And it's so hilarious. And I, I look, I'm, I'll preface this that I'm not a Manfred fan like he and I think you also. I, not, forget this, but I'm just not a Manfred fan. But here's a league that, in that sense, like David said, immediately gave the you know the um, premise of we're a progressive league. We're not going to stay here. We're going to take a stand against this. We're going to move our game. And yet, one of the most important facets of their entire profession, they keep these guys in there forever and don't move on from just horrible, horrible umpires. You know, I talked about the other day when the um, uh, the A's player against Kershaw gets the home run taken away, and it probably was foul. I wouldn't have overturned it. I don't know how they overturned it, but we both said we look at the third base umpire. The kid's like eighty. It's like, and you have Angel Hernandez. Where are the evaluations i assume we all get evaluated every year in our jobs at least we're supposed to you know sometimes the pandemic that you know people got to catch up with that but where are the annual evaluations because you just gave out numbers that you looked up and you know that if i'm the head of umpires whoever that is for the league and you're telling me consistently that angel Hernandez for years now has missed at this level don't tell me you're a progressive league that's a joke that he continues to be an umpire in this league there's no progressive at that you're just allowing these guys to stay forever they must have and i don't know this i'll look it up i should be more informed does do the umpires have like the greatest union in the history of unions? yes i don't know is that is that is this the reason i don't know that they sued that box that tyler is talking about that shows the strike zone they sued for many years, like that technology was developed in the 90s, and it wasn't until the 2000s that it started using it because the umpires union sued Major League Baseball. That, that's Then it's the greatest union ever because for these guys like Angel Hernandez to continue to be incompetent at what they do with this much money on the line and you know this big of a league in this country and continuing to be like this is just laughable. It's absolutely laughable. It, it, it was like Angel, here's the thing. Angel Hernandez was like funny five years ago. Now I'm looking at the Astros, I'm looking at the Clippers. Now it's just stupid, right? I mean, after a while, it's not funny anymore, right? Now it's just complete incompetence. I mean, I'm looking at the Astros on those three pitches. It's not even close. No. I mean, it, and, it's, I mean it's a joke. He, I mean, he was terrible in the game. And you, I, the, the thing that's frustrating is we have the technology. Now, whatever, yes. you can argue that ESPN's K-Zone or whoever's K-Zone right, right. might not be perfectly accurate. But I'm pretty confident that Major League Baseball could come up with a K zone that is perfectly accurate, and it would be yeah. it would eliminate the problem. Like this is a problem in the sport of baseball. We have a solution for it. There's a refusal to let that solution come in, and it's umpires. And somehow, like, I mean, if listen, if I'm the umpire union, I don't want Angel Hernandez as an umpire because he's the one missing 17 percent of the calls, and the reason we're calling for this. If a guy missed like two calls, okay, you miss two an inning. Get out of here.